You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is November 28th, 2021, and this is episode 149 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll listen to an interview I did with four people about White Island Lighthouse in the Isles of Shoals off the New Hampshire coast. It's a local lighthouse for us. I know you've seen it plenty of times, Cindy. Yes, uh, only from afar, actually, from the mainland here. Yeah, it's uh, six miles offshore, so it's uh, kind of small when you're seeing it that way. But That's it can right, be seen but on from... a clear day, I, I usually try to make it out. Yeah, we uh, feature White Island Lighthouse and the fundraising cruises we do for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. The Isles of Shoals in general are really fascinating with tons of history and folklore. For listeners who might not know, there's a conference center on Star Island, which is one of the largest islands in the group. I've had the pleasure of speaking there a couple of times on Star Island. I got to spend the night there, which was pretty cool. It's a very am- amazing place. So let's tell everyone a little more about the Isles of Shoals and White Island Lighthouse and about today's guests. Sure, Jeremy. The Isles of Shoals are a cluster of nine islands located several miles off the seacoast of New Hampshire and southern Maine. The islands were frequented by European fishermen for years before Captain John Smith explored them in 1614. In May 1820, Congress authorized $5,000 for a lighthouse in the Isles of Shoals. A lighthouse was built on White Island in 1820, and it went into service in early 1821. It was a stone tower, later encased with wood and shingled. The lighthouse's unusual characteristic originally consisted of a series of red, white, and blue flashes. In October 1839, Thomas Layton became keeper. Layton was a former selectman and New Hampshire state senator. He and his wife, Eliza, moved to White Island with their two children, Oscar and Celia. Layton's daughter, Celia, later gained widespread fame as Celia Thaxter, poet and author. A new 58-foot brick lighthouse tower was built on White Island in 1859 and was fitted with a second-order Fresnel lens. A duplex keeper's house built in 1878 was removed by the Coast Guard in the 1950s. After the light's automation, the Coast Guard keepers were removed. A couple of years later, the huge Fresnel lens was replaced by aero beacons. In 1993, White Island became the property of the state of New Hampshire. Over the years that followed, the lighthouse tower developed major cracks in its exterior, mostly on the northeast side that bears the brunt of storms. The good news is that Sue Reynolds, a seventh grade science teacher at the Northampton School on the New Hampshire seacoast, started a nonprofit organization called the Lighthouse Kids to save the lighthouse. Each year's seventh grade students worked to raise funds and local awareness. In April 2003, Senator Judd Gregg of New Hampshire announced that a matching grant of $250,000 in federal funds was awarded for the restoration of the White Island Lighthouse. On June 22, 2005, the Lighthouse Kids presented New Hampshire Governor John Lynch with a check for $110,000. In accepting the check, the state authorized the Division of Parks and Recreation to expend the money for conservation and restoration of the White Island Light Station. More than a thousand bricks were replaced in the tower during the 2005 restoration, and the lighthouse received a protective layer of stucco. 
The glass block windows in the tower are replaced by windows that are more like the original ones. We have four guests today. Sue Reynolds was a public school educator for 40 years and for more than 20 years was the captain of the tour boat, Uncle Oscar. She was also the founder of the Lighthouse Kids. Nancy Fry Bergeron is a longtime resident of the New Hampshire seacoast who serves on the board of directors of the Lighthouse Kids, and she's also an author whose works include the book Noreen, Living a New England Century. Ed Latta was a Coast Guard lightkeeper on White Island and more recently returned with his family as stewards living on the island. And Kyla Cunningham was a lighthouse kid circa 2002 and 2003, and today she's a working mother living in Exeter, New Hampshire. I spoke with Kyla Cunningham, Ed Latta, Nancy Bergeron, and Sue Reynolds via Zoom. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with uh, four people, actually. I think it's a record for the podcast, uh, interviewing four people at once. Uh, We're speaking with Sue Reynolds, who is a retired teacher and founder of the Lighthouse Kids program. Uh, Also, Nancy Bergeron, who is on the board of directors of the Lighthouse Kids and has also served as a steward on White Island. Uh, We have Ed Latta, who was a Coast Guard lightkeeper on White Island and has also returned with his family uh, as a steward on the island, and Kyla Cunningham, formerly Kyla Briggs, uh, who was a lighthouse kid uh, circa 2002 and 2003. Today, she's a working mother living in Exeter, New Hampshire, just about 20 minutes from where I am here in uh, Portsmouth. Thank you all so much for being with me this afternoon. Before we talk about White Island Lighthouse and the Lighthouse Kids, I'd like to start with Sue, and uh, I'd like to get a little bit of background. Sue, uh, I understand uh, you started boating at a very young age. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I started boating summers when we, which we spent in the north part of Hampton Beach in a cottage that my father built. Um, next door was a lobsterman with a daughter my age that I was friends with. The lobsterman used to put us out in his skiff, tethered to land by a line, and say, row, row, while he mended his traps. And he was babysitting, basically. And that was my beginning boating experience. From there, I just spent every summer at the ocean in Hampton and grew to love the ocean and boats and the water. When I got old enough, I went out in other people's boats. And then when I had my own boat, I could go to the islands. Yeah. And of course, uh, as we mentioned in the introduction, you... uh had your own uh, charter boat, the Uncle Oscar, for many years and brought many, many people to the Isles of Shoals. So uh, how did you first develop your interest and love for the Isles of Shoals? I have a love of history and local history, and I always have. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was a little kid, I'd look out and I could see the islands from the beach, but I couldn't get there. And then I could get there and I started reading and experiencing the islands and just I found a magic out there for all of the history that connected to the mainland, but was really offshore. And um, the four islands that are in New Hampshire, of which White Island is the southernmost, are part of Rye, New Hampshire, and I've been a Rye resident for years. Sure. Yeah. Well, the islands are, are very special. I think they're one of the things that make uh, living on the New Hampshire seacoast and southern Maine, too, so special. Uh, so I just want to uh, talk about a point here that you and I, Sue, discussed by email 
uh, in the last couple of weeks. I believe that this is the 200th anniversary of White Island Light Station. There's some, you, you'll see in different places that it was first lighted in 1820 and some say 1821. Uh, I have uh, copies of a notice to Mariners issue that said it was uh, gonna be lit on uh, December 6th, 1820, but I believe it was delayed and not lit until early 1821. And I just I'd like you to confirm that, make sure that's, that's correct. I believe so. And I thought that they again tried to relight it on December 27th. And for some reason, which I don't know, that didn't work. So they ended up relighting it in early January. And so I think due to COVID, we kind of all missed 2020. And 2021, to me, as the official time that it did light and go online. Yeah, we can call this the 200th anniversary. Absolutely, White Island I mean, Lighthouse Station. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. So let's consider this uh, this podcast uh, part of the official 200th anniversary celebration. How about that? Maybe next year you can have a 201st uh, anniversary special event. Yeah, Ed, I'd like to turn to you at this point. You were a Coast Guard lightkeeper, and what years were you stationed on White Island? I was there from. Um, 81 through 82 for a one-year period. And you were about how old at the time? Uh, I believe I was 21 years old. Probably turned 21 right after I got there. Okay. And could you just tell us maybe a little bit about your background? Where were you from originally? Well, I I grew up in Pennsylvania, border of New Jersey. So I I really never lived around the ocean too much. A few trips to Jersey Shore, you know. And um, joined the Coast Guard, and I was stationed on 82-foot Coast Guard cutter, the Point Steel, stationed on Lake Ontario. And mm-hmm. we would go to um, we would go to Miami or Key West for the winters, do drug patrols, and went through the Haitian crisis and what have you. And then I was on there for I don't know a year and a half or so, and they got orders to go to Gurnet Light, which is in Duxbury. And I took some leave on my way there. And I got a telegram, that's how they got messages back then, um, to go to, to Isles of Shoals, which, you know, at the time I wasn't too happy about it because, you know, the Garnet Point was attached to land. I knew I'd have a truck and I'd be able to, to, to get out and escape. And I'm like going from the adventures of search and rescue to the isolation of being on a little four acre rock. Yeah. But, you know, it, it all turned out good. Yeah. Were lighthouses kind of on your radar or there's something you ever thought about or, and kind of part two to that question, did you, did you choose to uh, become a lighthouse keeper in the Coast Guard? To be honest with you, I, I really never gave much thought of being a um, lighthouse keeper. Lighthouses were just something that we used for navigation when I was on the ship and, you know, they were nice to look at, but that was really, I never gave much thought to it. I had no choice and and my being stationed at a lighthouse, I, I was quite surprised when I, I received those orders. I, you know, I didn't, even, I don't know if I even realized it was, you know, Coast Guard did the lighthouse thing. So uh-huh. it was a big surprise to me. Okay. And how did it work out for you? Did you enjoy life on White Island? I did, but, you know, I was 21 and it was a little isolating at times, you know, the winters were, were, isolating you know and, but it was very peaceful and the most best job i ever had you know as far as no stress 
but I really grew to, to, to like it. It was, it was, um, it was quite an experience. Uh, were there any memorable events while you were there? Maybe storms or anything else that really stands out in your memory? Well, I'd like to say I helped rescue somebody, but that just never happened. Um, but, you know, there was quite a few big storms and the island would get very small. It would be like all the rocks would disappear and that little patch of grass would be the only place that you could really see land. It wouldn't be water. And it would almost feel like the island would shake at times, you know, the wave hitting it. There's like a 30-foot cliff on the eastern side. And the waves would hit that, and they would just break like 60 feet up in the air. And it was um, pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, It was magical out there. And being in a snowstorm was, was something else out there, too, because, you know, the lights shining through. And it, it, was, it was absolutely beautiful. I've seen some pictures of uh, the place in storms with, with waves like that. So it must have been incredible. So I want to get back to you, Ed, uh, in a few minutes about the stewardship program. And obviously, there's a lot we could talk about as far as living there. And maybe we can talk again sometime. But I, I'll get back to you in a few minutes. But I, I want to ask you, Sue, uh, what led you to start the Lighthouse Kids program? Well, I guess it's because in my life, things just fall into my hands. They're meant to happen. I was operating Uncle Oscar back and forth to the shoals as the ferry boat to Star Island. I took out state officials and things like that when the Coast Guard automated the light. And then after that, in 1993, when the state, who were the owners of White Island, realized that the Coast Guard's only job was to maintain an aid to navigation. And their job was not to maintain a historic lighthouse. And so the people that lived around Rye Harbor, where I spend most of my life in the summer, they said, oh, we have to do something because they looked out at the lighthouse all the time and we have to save the lighthouse. Yeah. And I was required teaching at Northampton School, seventh grade, to do service learning. And my thing for service learning started out I was doing um, beach cleanup on the beach and we'd ride our bikes to, um, to Northampton Beach. I had all males in that group because a lot of the other service learning activities were more geared to females and the boys couldn't wait to get on their bikes and ride on a Friday afternoon down to the beach. I did have one girl, but... It all worked out while we were down the beach because the timing was perfect. I said, you know, we could try to save that lighthouse that's out there by going home and talking to your parents and basically bringing awareness to the to the islands at the Alice Shoals and um, and to White Island. And it's part of New Hampshire history and it's part of the seacoast of New Hampshire offshore. So we could try to save that lighthouse because it's in need. And I explained the need. One thing led to another. So that was when we're talking about that you started the lighthouse kids about 2000. Is that about right? It was 2000. And at this point, can I interrupt for a minute and bring something else in? Yeah. Kyler is sitting here. I found this amazing thing. I always use a tray when I'm here in Florida where I am today. This is the tray, if you can see it, that Kyla gave me in seventh grade that I use all the time here in Florida. And on the back of it, 
it's signed by Kyla. And um, it's thanks for a great year, Kyla, a lighthouse kid. I'm using it every day. Sue, that is so awesome. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you still have that. I even recognized it. Yeah, I do. I love it. Thank you. It's also really weird to call you Sue. I'm like trying to <laughs> break my Mrs. Reynolds habit. It's like really know, challenging. But, <laughs> but everybody that's around locally has that I have in school when they're at Rye Harbor, they're very used to calling me Sue. Okay. Captain I'll get there. Sue. How about Captain Sue, right? Well, for our listeners, uh, Sue just held up a, a beautiful tray with a, a drawing or painting of a, a lighthouse. Looks sort of like Cape Hatteras with those black and white, kind of a barber pole type type stripe, uh, but a nice uh, maritime scene signed on the back from Kyla. Kyla, I'm going to get to you in just a second, but uh, Nancy, uh, how did you, how and when did you get interested in White Islands and the Lighthouse Kids? I've lived most of my life about a half mile from the ocean in Northampton, and I'm living in the house that my parents raised me in, and just looking at it all the time. And then my daughter is a history teacher at Wanaconnet High School in Hampton, and I don't know how she became uh, on the board of directors for Lighthouse Kids, but she said, Mom, you need to get on the board, too. So she kind of volunteered me, and I love history um, as well. And, you know, I walk by the islands every morning and wave to them. And some days they look like you could reach out and touch them. And other mornings they look like we have a joke that, you know, that sometimes they, they come in for the weekend for the tourists. But um, it, it's beautiful. <laughs> and you've been on the board for about how long now? I, I was trying to figure that out. I think probably since 2012, because I was a steward in 2013. Yeah, I want to talk more about the stewardship program shortly. So. We'll certainly uh, get back to you on that, Nancy. But let, let me ask Kyla. Sue just uh, mentioned that you you were one of the early lighthouse kids. So you were a, a lighthouse kid circa two thousand two and three. Is that is that right? Do I have that correct? Yeah, I think the program was only going for one or two years before when we started. And if I'm remembering correctly, Sue, I think there was only like four of us. It was myself, Kevin Donahoe, Calla Chance, and Savrula Burmis. Am I missing anybody? Oh no, they were they were way more, but you um just named some real prominent ones in your Okay, memory. that's all I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, I, I we may have met back then cuz I Sue, you'll remember that I went out with with you and groups of kids uh twice around that time. I think it was around 2002ish. Um so I we may, so. may well have met back then and I I, have, I took a lot of pictures uh, during those visits, so maybe we should uh, look through the pictures and see if you're... I don't know if I need to revisit 13-year-old May. I'm good. <laughs> you so have changed like... a ton. Uh, <laughs> and so, he has or hasn't? Seventh grade. Has. I would not recognize her as the person that was in seventh grade, although she does have a family resemblance to her mother and sister. She looks much more adult than she did when she was in seventh grade. We all look more adult than we did uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> you can call it adult or something else. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Kyla, what led you to get involved with the Lighthouse Kids? I mean, I think uh, like Sue mentioned, we had like the service learning program. And I mean, I was someone who always really enjoyed history um, growing up. Just I had a teacher in fifth grade that like really got me into it. And then from there, just had a big interest in it. And then it seemed like it was 
an awesome group to actually make some really tangible change in our local community, which was, that would have like a little bit more of a lasting impact. And Sue's pretty persuasive. So. (laughs) Yes, she is. uh, I know from experience. Kyla, I've got to say, and to everybody else, when Kyla started out as a lighthouse kids and kid, and we were going around talking to different groups, trying to raise awareness, Kyla volunteered at the very beginning of the year to speak. And I think it was to Portsmouth Rotary. And she got up to speak at Portsmouth Rotary. And she looked absolutely petrified. And what she said, I have no idea. I don't think she had any idea either, but she got through it and sat down. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks went by and everything, and she volunteered to speak again. And the next time she got up to speak, she totally had her act together and was absolutely awesome for the rest of the year. It was a cool thing. That's how you learn. That's that's great. That's great to hear. Do you remember going through that, Kyla? That- yeah, I still get absolutely petrified public speaking, but ironically, <laughs> I've been finding myself in a sales slash like business relationship role for my entire career. So must have stuck with me in some capacity. Right. Maybe being a lighthouse kid helped pave the way for that. I think it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know what, what it's like. I was petrified of public speaking, but now I've done hundreds of lectures about lighthouses. So somehow, you know, got to face your fears and get get through it somehow. Kyla, uh, are there any particular activities of the Lighthouse Kids that stand out in your memory? There's like three really big ones. Definitely like speaking at the Rotary and then um, going to Concord and speaking at the house um, to get the grant was like a really big moment. You know, being featured on uh, New Hampshire Chronicle, that was Mm -hmm. like... Whoa, like Fitzweatherby. <laughs> it was a big deal. And then the last one, which is a, isn't really related, is uh, Sue actually brought us all to open a checking account for the Lighthouse Kids to be able to start depositing all the donations. And that was like a really pivotal moment for me. It was just like the first time to really be involved in finance and tracking what we were bringing in. And just a great life skill to just open up like at an early age. So I, th- I always thought that was really cool. We went to the bank in Rye and we got whale checks and it was kind of neat. So uh-huh. yeah, that is neat. So Sue, as you mentioned a little while ago, the lighthouse, uh, when the, the state took ownership uh, circa 1993 and on the years that followed, uh, the bricks were falling out left and right. It was really in, in extremely rough shape. When you started the lighthouse kids, Obviously, you had to be optimistic about it, but uh, in the early days, did you did you really feel you were going to be able to save the lighthouse? Well, I didn't think about that because in my life, I just thought about plotting ahead. You start something, you do it, you keep going, you see what happens. And then ironically, at the beginning, before Kyla's year, I think the very first year that we really got going, we had a state legislator a Rogers Johnson, a New Hampshire state legislator that recently passed away. He came to the school to speak about New Hampshire government and what state legislators do. Mm-hmm. At the very end of his lesson, he asked all the kids that were sitting around in the circle with him, he asked them, is there something I can do for you? And one Lighthouse kid just all of a sudden raised his hand and said, Chris, I remember his name. He said, yes, you can help us 
save a lighthouse. And Rogers Johnson just kind of looked like, huh? And um, he asked a few questions, got it going. And from there, Kara's group ended up going to speak to the New Hampshire legislature and to do everything else because Rogers Johnson brought it to the forefront of not only the New Hampshire State Legislature, but the Finance Committee of the Legislature and everybody else, and had us speaking to committees of the legislature. The Finance Committee said, this is the first time I've ever had 12-year-olds in here talking about finance to, to us. Like I said, things fell into place somehow, unexpectedly. Who yeah. expected Chris to raise his hand and say that? Not me, but he did. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the uh, wise man once said something to the effect of uh, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. And I think that that's what, what happened uh, in this case. So, uh, Sue, so you were a teacher for about 40 years and uh, you obviously taught these kids a lot, both uh, science that you taught in school and, uh, you know, the process of uh, saving the lighthouse and all that. But I'm wondering uh, during the process of, uh, you know, starting and, and uh, keeping the Lighthouse kids going, did the kids teach you anything? Sure. They taught me a lot. They taught me that they could totally be a surprise. I was surprised when Kyla turned her speaking skills around almost immediately. I was surprised um, when um, Kyla already mentioned Kyla LaChance, when Kyla LaChance stood up in front of the New Hampshire legislature and all of a sudden brainstormed when asked the question, why is it important to you to save White Island Lighthouse Station? She kind of stood there next to Kevin Donahoe and said, well, it's a historic monument in the state of New Hampshire. It's important to the state of New Hampshire. It's kind of like if the old man of the mountain fell down. What would you do? And the amazing part was three months later, the old man of the mountain did fall down. Yes, it it was, did. That was like, uh, yeah, kids can absolutely shock you with what they come up with and the insight that they have. Yeah. Well, we lost the old man in the mountain, but thankfully we didn't lose White Island Lighthouse too. That would have been too, too much to lose both of those. Sue, are there any especially memorable moments for you? Uh, the things that, well, you've mentioned some of them already, but anything else we haven't talked about that really stands out? There's probably a lot that's, yeah. you know, that stands out from over the years. I mean, from the picture of, again, the same year as Kyla, Kevin Donahoe, with his hand up against the hole in the lighthouse that we broadcast everywhere so people could see this, uh, the deterioration of the tower to the Lobster Project that got the whole community of Northampton, not only the students and not only the parents, but the whole community of Northampton plus the Hampton Rotary together to create a project that raised a lot of money and a whole lot of awareness in the entire Seacoast community up through and Southern Maine too. So it was just a cool, cool project. And sure was. I really had nothing. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot to do it with it. Parents and community just took it away. And what they did was awesome. 
Well, you were the catalyst that got it got it going. You had a lot to do with it, but it was it takes a team, obviously, to do something like that. Uh, you know, I remember so well, like it was yesterday when I went out uh, one time with the group and uh, I have pictures of the boy uh, measuring the cracks, the, you know, the spaces where the bricks were falling out with a tape measure and keeping you were keeping track of how how much bigger this, that space was getting and that kind of thing. Uh, and the kids were just so into it. It was just it was so great to see. And I did go to Concord on one of those trips when the kids spoke in front of uh, the legislature and I was just so impressed by them. Uh, and, uh, also the, uh, the time they, uh, I guess it was related to the lobster effort. You were talking about some of the kids dressed, dressed in lobster costumes and kind of, uh, and held signs in downtown Portsmouth. And, yeah. Uh, I took Market Square. Yeah, that was, that was great. The reactions from people going by and beeping their horns in support. It was really nice to see. So, uh, you did achieve the goal. Of course, you, the kids raised approximately $110,000. And there was the $250,000 federal grant, the Save America's Treasures grant, and the lighthouse was restored. The state did kick in a little bit of money. <laughs> and the uh, lighthouse was restored in 2005. So how did it feel at that time when you achieved the goal? It felt great to achieve the goal. But overall, I understood that there was no finish to this. Because White Island Lighthouse Station is out in the ocean and the waves and storms take their ravages on the lighthouse. Yes. So it's ongoing. And to that end, things that are amazing, third and fourth graders at Rye Elementary School in a walkathon in June, this past June, they had to miss 2020 because of COVID. But in 2021, the third and fourth graders at Rye Elementary raised almost $5,000 wow. to, um, to support the lighthouse. So there are amazing things going on now. I figure that this is one of those things for me that's a never-ending project. It mm -hmm. won't end as long as I can keep up my end. Well, you're never done with lighthouse preservation. There's no doubt about that. Finish one thing and something else uh, needs needs fixing. And as you said, it takes the brunt of uh, everything weather and uh, seas can throw at it. Uh, so Nancy, I wanna get back to you. Uh, as you said, you've been on the board of directors for maybe uh, nine or 10 years or something like that. And w w in that time, what really stands out for you? What's uh, what's happened that, that you uh, that you kind of cherish in your association with the Lighthouse Kids? Well, on June 27th, 2013, I was able to go over as a steward with three of my friends and two of them, their great grandfather, Jonathan Godfrey, had been an assistant um, Lighthouse Keeper over there from 1861 to 1863. So when I asked them if they would fill in for two other ladies that had backed out, they jumped right on it. So we went over there and it was quite a journey because it's very difficult to get onto the island and yeah. the walkway was not there at that time. And we went over with a fisherman and he had to row us over two trips. And we were told to be prepared to get wet, which we did when we jumped out of the boat. <laughs> uh, we, we got over there and the turns, you have to be very careful. They try to keep them over on the uh, CB Island, but they were, over on White Island, and we had to walk around with sticks to keep them off our heads. Yeah. Uh, there was um, a large dog over there named Diesel that was supposed to deter them from coming across to White Island. 
But we went over and we did a lot of painting. We had to go over. We had to take our own water. We had to take our own food, our own bedding. And um, out back, there was compost toilets. And we had to share the kitchen with uh, the Turns LLC group. There was two college girls over there that we we shared the kitchen with and got very friendly with them. And they would have to go over to see the island and sit in. They look like duck blinds over there to study yeah. the turns. But we painted and we cleaned up a lot around outside. And the second day we were totally fogged in, just very fogged in. But luckily the first day we were actually able to climb the light and walk around uh, on the top of the light. And I remember Sue being concerned because it was bad weather coming in. And she had warned us, you may get over there, but you may get stuck there for a while. And I, you know, we all had to tell our bosses that, you know, we may be back to work Monday and we may not. And she called because we were, and we were, we were a lot younger than back then, Sue, but I just remember you calling and saying, do you all have your meds? <laughs> and I think I was in my 50s saying, what meds? Huh. Um, she was concerned that we might run out of our meds over there, but um, it was a wonderful experience. I, I, I was glad to be able to help in a small way. And Sue does most of the work on Lighthouse Kids. I just have to tell you that she does the most of it. She keeps them organized. And we have a couple of meetings, um, the Rye Elementary Kids doing their walk. And then we used to do uh, fundraisers or go out on the Uncle Oscar uh, sunrise cruises mm-hmm. and we would chip in. But I was able, when I was on the island, to journal my experience. And um, I got my article posing as a lighthouse keeper into Lighthouse Digest, and it's also on our website. So mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a writer, so that was quite an experience for me. So I just want to clarify a couple of things. Uh, first, you mentioned the uh, Turin Restoration Project on CV Island. CV is a small island connected to White Island by a small bar. But I think right. it, is, it is possible to walk back and forth at low tide, right? At low tide, but I remember one day the two ladies, Leah and Vanessa, college students, got stuck over there, and they always wore bathing suits underneath their their clothing. And one day they did have to swim back. Oh wow! And uh, that's a really important project out there. There's, uh, I believe, uh, in addition to common terns, there's uh, endangered Arctic and roseate terns nesting there. Correct. I think there was like seven different breeds, if I recall correctly. And uh, there's been various agencies uh, involved in that effort for, for quite a few years now. But uh, talking about the stewardship uh, program where you, you stayed in the Keeper's House on White Island, there's been uh, a number of people who have done that over the years. Could you say what the, what the stewardship program is, why it, why it came about? They had a stewardship program on Smutinose Island, which is um, one of the main islands in the island group at the Elsa Shoals. And um, I was aware of it and had gone to Smutty Nose stewardship meetings since the inception of it with Alza Schultz Historic and Research Association. So I saw that model and I thought, well, Lighthouse Kids can do something like this. And it's not just kids that are involved in Lighthouse Kids. So I started the stewardship program not being fully cognizant when I started it, that it was vastly different than the Smutty Nose stewardship because on Smutty Nose, there is a landing place inside a little cove and Smutty Nose 
you just go from Star Island where the ferry comes out across Gosport Harbor right. to that little calm landing place and getting on and off um, White Island, as has been stated here before, is not the same feat at all. Right. So you do have to be very careful of conditions and you do have to be willing to stay until things calm down. Um, sure. So it's much more challenging. Uh, Ed, uh, speaking of the stewardship program, you and your family were stewards on the island. So how, how was that experience? It must have been interesting after being there many years earlier to go back uh, as a steward. It was. It was um, It was very interesting. It was um, 36 years since I was there. So, But as soon as I stepped onto the island, that, that feel, that unique feel of being on the island and, and being the keeper and that being my home for a year, it all came back and it was... Um, it was pretty special. It was, it was really nice to, to share my history with my family. I found I was kind of surprised to see the same furniture in the house that when I was there. You know, it was like nothing really changed in the place uh, except for it was in a lot more. It was in disrepair, you know, and, and um, it was very quiet because the generators weren't running. And when I lived there, it was, I never had peace and quiet because the generators ran 24-7. And um, it, w- it was nice to have the, be able to hear the surf. And then, you know, we went up to see the, the light itself. It was kind of disappointing to see the big Fresnel lenses not there anymore. And this little tiny, tiny light that was hard to believe that was a, a light for a lighthouse. Yeah, it had a second order Fresnel lens about seven feet tall uh, that was removed later in the 80s. Yeah, what a change from that to the, uh, the LED light that's out there now. Still does the job, not as not as beautiful or interesting as the old uh, beautiful Fresnel lens. I have a question for Nancy Andor Sue. You mentioned Rye Elementary a couple of times. I, I understand the Lighthouse Kids is still active. And let me just clarify, we, we said it in the introduction, but Sue, you were a teacher at the Northampton School and you started the Lighthouse Kids as a seventh grade service project for the at, at the Northampton School. But today, uh, Rye Elementary, kids at Rye Elementary are involved. Can you just explain a little bit more about what is the what is the current situation with Lighthouse Kids? The current situation with Lighthouse Kids is that um, we have our board of directors. We have the entire school of Rye Elementary, which is um, kindergarten through, there's preschool too, through fourth grade now because fifth, sixth, has moved to the junior high because of space. That with um, the principal there, Suzanne Lowe, runs things for um, Lighthouse Kids, for the kids. And those are the kids that are directly involved now. We do have a saying that goes back to Kyla and before, once a Lighthouse Kid, always a Lighthouse Kid. So those Lighthouse Kids have never really retired, whether they know it or not. But because it's a strictly a volunteer nature, that means that their volunteerism is on is just that. And then the stewardship program, pretty much I, I administer through emails and things like that. The hard part is if you're going to leave somebody when it's not the turn season, the turn season goes spring through um, at least the first probably the second week in August too, it varies. After that, for the end of August through September, if you're gonna leave somebody alone, which is really 
what they want. They want to go when they're not sharing the cottage. They have to be trained to use, instead of the generators that were out there in Ed's time, to use the solar array in a way that will preserve the electricity and the batteries and not diminish it. Mm-hmm. And to and to use the other facilities that are out there that Nancy alluded to, the composting toilet and things like that. Stewards need to understand the goings on at the island and the mechanics of staying there. And so they need to be trained. I kind of take care of that with another steward who will do the training. He'll go out there and do training days for stewards to be able to get acclimated to the island and understand what they have to do, not only to preserve it, to help make it be more presentable and things like that, but also to preserve the mechanics out there. They get that training and then they can go out and stay alone. So it is a process that somebody has to needs to be pretty dedicated and really want to do it. So you mentioned solar power. There, there is some solar power out there. The, there was a big uh, solar array uh, the Coast Guard had there for running the, the light and foghorn. I believe that was swept away in the, the 2006 storm, uh, April 2006, or was that swept away earlier? I'm trying to remember now. I think that that was earlier, but um, there is a small solar panel that takes care of the now light that's out yeah. there attached to the lighthouse. And the solar array that um, is on the southwest side, west side of the um, keeper's cottage, is getting pretty old. They're talking about replacing it. That's something that's on the agenda to to replace the um, solar panels and to update the solar instruments inside. I'm sure there's always many things on the agenda and uh, th- that storm I mentioned in April 2006, that's the one that washed away the uh, the walkway, the covered walkway between the, the house and tower, right? It's been washed away many times in the history of the place. And I think it was rebuilt with uh, FEMA funds. FEMA funds and other. Um, it was rebuilt by Jeff Thurston, who was a con- um, uh, Concord, New Hampshire, basically timber framer. And that's how it's built. He different from other contractors. Jeff um, built it in his Concord workshop and brought the pieces out on a barge. Then he stuck his crew out there for several weeks, putting it together. And Lighthouse kids from Rye Elementary School actually went out on Uncle Oscar with the principal who gave them the day off. And we sat there and we watched the frames be put into place like you would put them in into place, the triangles. You will put them building a puzzle and they were put into place in a few hours while we sat and watched picking them up by helicopter from yeah. the bridge and bringing them over. I've seen video of that. The operation with the helicopter is pretty, pretty incredible. So as you mentioned, the restoration is never done and the place uh, takes a beating. Is there anything going on or anything, any major projects kind of uh, in the pipeline at this point? Yeah. COVID has interrupted things in 2000. 19, well, 2018, it started with Portsmouth Rotary going out and a crew going out and taking apart the um, pieces that they could of the roof that was rotted in the generator house. And then Enviro Vantage was hired to do an asbestos removal in the keeper's cottage. Then in um, 2000, 
19, there was a company hired to put new windows in the keeper's cottage, put the put the roof back on it, do everything else after between Portsmouth Rotary and Enviro Vantage. They got the whole generator room stripped out, cleaned out of the asbestos and everything. Mm-hmm. So the company that they hired went out of Rye Harbor. They were really incapable, I'll say that, of transiting the distance, the six miles, out to the island in their boats with their gear, um, kept breaking down, losing equipment overboard, having people getting sick of staying out there. They were only going out daytime, not staying overnight, so they'd have to go every day. Landing was difficult. They ended up abandoning their boat and supplies out there. Their boat still sits abandoned, but it doesn't have a bottom in it anymore. It's a small boat. Wow. And uh, the project hasn't been completed. It needs to be completed in 2022, obviously with a different company. Portsmouth Rotary will still come on board to help out. A couple of the prominent Portsmouth Rotary members have boats in Rye Harbor, kind of handy. And uh, so they, they'll they help out, they'll do whatever, but they're not the contractors. And everybody is aware that you need a contractor that understands the ocean the way Jeff Thurston did when he built the walkway. Well, that what you just said points out the difficulties with uh, preserving a, an offshore lighthouse, a remote offshore lighthouse, you know, several miles out in the ocean. It's anything you do is like 10 times more complicated than something on the mainland. Kyla, I want to get back to you. I just want to ask you, and we kind of maybe covered a little bit of this ground, but uh, do you feel like being a lighthouse kid has shaped your life in any way? Yeah, I think uh, kind of like what Sue mentioned. I was laughing because I was trying to think back to like the rotary and I think I just blacked it out. I can't, can't remember that speech at all. But no, I think it. Uh, there's a lot of pieces about it that kind of initiate like showed us that, like initiating things and like like establishing change and yeah I think it it gave us like a lot of self-confidence too in terms of you know being able to speak in front of groups of people that you would never think you'd be able to or or taking on something that you didn't feel comfortable with um, and becoming comfortable with it so also it kind of like tied me to the seacoast a little bit I never really thought I would be living 15 minutes from where I grew up, I was always one of those kids that was like, I want to go far away. But uh, it's really, I don't know, it kind of tied me to this area and this home. And uh, it's nice to be back. Well, I, I just think it's such a great thing. You know, I, I thought it when I, uh, a couple of times I went out with the Lighthouse kids to the island and saw them in Concord and and uh, and so forth. And it, it it's just uh, to get kids involved in something, both local history and an effort to uh, preserve uh, such a historic site. Uh, I, I think it would have to tie kids more into the, the area and make them feel more uh, sort of uh, a stake in what's what's going on. So and I think there's a lot of credit to give Sue for how she always handled Lighthouse kids. It was even though she was always pulling all the strings behind the scenes, like she gave you both the impression and also the responsibility that like you were the one doing this and like you were the one making it happen. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's something really special. And I think she did that for a lot of people who are involved because it propels your confidence into a lot of other things um, in the future. Yeah. Well, I could see that when I, I saw the way Sue was running it. I think what you're saying is absolutely true. So I have one final question for each of you for bonus points. Okay. The question is, what does White Island Lighthouse mean to you? And why don't we start with Nancy? 
it means a lot to me. Well, mostly because I was able to go over there. I never ever thought I'd be able to do that, and to really see. You know, I came on later, so there had been a lot of repairs done to the light, but it it cemented my love of lighthouses after that experience. That's for sure. And I was lucky to meet an old lighthouse keeper, Paul Baptiste. I don't know if you knew of him, Jeremy. And I, did. I, I interviewed him for his family, did a profile on him. And when he passed away a couple of years ago, I was able to submit that to Lighthouse Digest as well. But some of the stories that he had to tell about the early days of lighthouse keeping. And he was also in the Coast Guard, Ed. He started in the Coast Guard. But I think he was a lighthouse or assistant lighthouse keeper for four different lighthouses. Yeah, I know he was at Monhegan. He was at Baker's Island and Salem, yeah. Mass. Yeah, I knew, I didn't know him well, but I, I met Paul a few times. He was, yeah. he was great. And it's, it's wonderful that you worked with him and did that. Uh, so next, let's ask uh, Ed, uh, what does uh, White Island Lighthouse mean to you? Oh, it's probably mostly just the pride of knowing that I was part of Lighthouse history. I was lucky enough to have a job that virtually does not exist anymore. It's a very special place for me, and it's, 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 it will always hold, hold a place in my heart. Very unique. Yeah. Oh, you are absolutely part of Lighthouse history. I, you know, um, I think uh, what you did is so important, and it's important to remember to preserve these these stories uh, because you're, there are no more, <laughs> right. basically. So uh, let's see, uh, Kyla, what does uh, White Island Lighthouse mean to you? I think, um, no, no I, I love that it's saved and that it's out there and like you can point to it and, you know, talk about the history of the area. But I think for me, it's more stands for like the importance of getting involved in your community. And um, I can't wait to like share it with my daughter and, you know, see what else we can, we can help preserve, you know, in the area. Because I think local history is really important. Sure. Is your daughter a lighthouse kid? Uh, she is one years old, so uh, <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> yeah, she will be though. She, yeah. she doesn't know it yet, but she will be, I'm sure. So, so Sue, uh, what does White Island Lighthouse mean to you? Well, first of all, I love lighthouses and always have in history. But I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time with the right equipment and the right knowledge to help preserve White Island Lighthouse Station. I just have to say that. I was in Rye Harbor where Senator, ex-governor Judd Gregg lives. I'm on a first name basis with Judd because he and I both have moorings in the harbor. And he was the one that accepted as governor of the state of New Hampshire, White Island Lighthouse back when the Coast Guard gave it, gave it back to the state. I was in the right place with Rogers Johnson in the class. I mean, everything falling into place. I operated the ferry boat that brought people out there. I, it was just meant to be that I was connected to White Island Lighthouse Station. That's all I have to say. You're absolutely the right person in the right place at the right time. And yeah. I don't think it would have happened without you. It's just uh, great the way it all, all fell together. But you were very much the, the person who made it happen. We could talk for hours, I'm sure. There's so much to talk about. It's wonderful hearing from all of you. So I, I want to thank all four of you, Kyla Cunningham, uh, Nancy Bergeron, uh, Ed Latta, and Sue Reynolds, 
Uh, you've all, you're all part of history, the history of White Island and the Lighthouse Kids. You've all done great things. Uh, and I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. You can learn more about the Lighthouse Kids and the preservation of White Island Light Station at lighthousekids.com. This year marks the 200th anniversary of White Island Lighthouse, and last year was the 20th anniversary of the Lighthouse Kids. You know, I count my visits to White Island with Sue Reynolds and the Lighthouse Kids among my favorite lighthouse memories ever. Mm. Uh, what they've accomplished is a model that shows what can be done by people of any age who are determined enough to see a project through. I enjoyed having a chance to speak with today's guests about the Lighthouse Kids, and it's important to remember that the project is still ongoing. I should probably add that every dollar donated to the Lighthouse Kids is very important, especially in these difficult times for fundraising. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn about all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, and don't forget that donations and memberships help to support this podcast. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And by the way, Jeremy, I saw that the month of October was our best month ever. As a matter of fact, yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) We had almost 5,000 downloads in the month. Wow. Yeah, it was the most since the podcast started in June 2019. Thank you to all our faithful listeners and welcome to all our new ones. And uh, I yes. should point out, yeah, anything uh, anybody can do to help spread the word about this podcast, Lighthearted, anything you can do to spread the word to your friends uh, is very much appreciated. Yes, thank you. Celia Thaxter, who lived her early years as the lighthouse keeper's daughter on White Island, wrote in her book, An Island Garden, quote, there shall be eternal summer in the grateful heart, unquote. Next week's episode of Lighthearted will feature interviews with Sandy White, Education Director for the Coastal Georgia Historical Society and St. Simon's Lighthouse, Sarah Jones, Executive Director of the Tybee Island Historical Society, and author William Rawlings. I had the pleasure of uh, talking with all of them when I was in Georgia just a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine